And so we're in John chapter 17, and we're in the, what is commonly known as the high priestly prayer that J- Jesus prayed to the Father. And in this portion that we're going through here this morning, He is praying for His disciples. And He glimpsed that Jesus Christ is His disciples or His people's great mediator, the one that intercedes on our behalf, the one who intercedes on their behalf. He prays that the Father would keep His elect, His children, those who He has adopted as sons in the name of Jesus Christ. We are the children of God. He is our God, and it is His power that sustains us. It is Christ's intercession that keeps us from being devoured, from being lost, from falling away, for falling victim to the evil one. He is our good Father that keeps us. And so often when we hear that God is the one who is keeping His children, that God is the one who is preserving His elect, we might say, well, what about all those people that I've met? What about all those people that have walked away from the faith? They no longer follow Christ. They no longer name His name. Ones that are like Judas, who followed Jesus faithfully and then walked away. Those are those that do not have saving faith. They have merely a profession of faith. They have not been born again. They have not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. They have not had their hearts of stone removed and given a heart of flesh. While they might have professed a faith or a belief in Jesus Christ, inwardly in their hearts they remained, like Judas, a devil. They cared nothing for the ways of God, and they came to God simply because of what He could give them, not for who He was, their only hope in this life. They never truly repented. They never saw their rebellion. And if you see repentance in their life, it's a man-centered repentance. It's a repentance that fears the consequences of sin rather than the holy God that will judge them. It's not a godly grief, as the Bible says, that leads to life. It's a man-centered grief that fears the opinions of others. They've never received the gift of life that comes in Jesus Christ's name. Never trusting in Him alone for their salvation. His perfect work on the cross. These are those who on that last day, the ones that have professed to know Christ, they will stand before Him on that last day and they will be told, depart from me. I never knew you. These are those who the Apostle John speaks of that walk away from the church. He says in 1 John 2.19 that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. So those that you see all around you that depart from the Christian faith, they say, I don't... I don't need Jesus any longer. I don't need His church. I don't need His Word. I don't need Him. They deny the faith. They are those who have never possessed true saving faith. They have merely professed a faith in Christ. 
But God preserves those who are truly His. Those who have His Holy Spirit. Those who have been born again by the power of God. Those who possess faith, not those who merely profess it. If someone looks like they have lost their faith, it is because they really never had it in the first place. God is able to keep those who are His. And with that, let's get into this morning's text. Starting in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus is the revelation of God made flesh. He is the one who reveals the Father to us. If we want to know God, we come to the Son. If you want to know who God is, you look to His Son, Jesus Christ. He is who reveals God to the world. The world might claim to have many ways to the Father. They might claim to have many ways to know God. But Jesus is clear that the only way to know who God is is to come through him. And He has made the Father known. And He's made His Father known to those who are His. He's manifested His name to them. When He says He's manifested His name, He's speaking of the name of God. And when in the Old Testament, when they would say the name of someone, it was who they were. Their entire being, what that meant. And so when He says, I've manifested His name, I've revealed all of who the Father is to you is what he says to those who the father has given him yes the father gives them to the son if you recall back in john chapter 6 verse 37 all that the father gives me those who come to christ in faith are given by the father all that the father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes i will never cast out and in that verse he says Yours they were. Speaking of the Father, they were His. They were chosen. They were God's people. They are God's people. And they've been chosen before the foundations of the world to be His. Chosen out of the world. Chosen by the Father to be saved. Chosen to be given to the Son as a love gift, so to speak. In Revelation 13.8, it speaks of the book of life. And you know, oftentimes when we speak of the book of life, we say this. Receive Christ Believe in Him and your name will be written in the book of life. But really, in Revelation, that's not what it says. In verse 8 there, in chapter 13, it says, Written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. See, if you come to Christ in faith, if you believe on His name, if you've been born again, your name was written there before the foundations of the world. God knew you before you were ever born. To be chosen out of the world. Here Jesus says that they were chosen out of the world. The world is that rebellious, rebellious system of sin. Those who are still in their sin, those who are actively rebelling against God, ruled by the ruler of this age, Satan. And Jesus says that His elect, His people, are chosen out of of the world. Now I want you to think about that for a second. He chooses us out of the world knowing we, knowing all our sins, knowing how we have fallen short from all of history, knowing exactly what we would do, every rebellious thought, every sin that we would commit. 
Each and every one of us, a part of this world, a part of the rebellion, lost, blind, slaves to sin. But He still chooses us out of the world. And He speaks to these 11 disciples. He chooses them out of the world. It is God who brings them out of the world. Oftentimes when we talk about the doctrines of election, it is the most offensive thing to people. They hate the idea of God choosing us first. You know, S. Lewis Johnson, he has a great analogy on this, and I'm going to share it with you here this morning. If you recall the lame man that Jesus healed, he tells him to get up, take up his bed and walk. Now think if one of you and I went to that lame man and we were looking at him, he's lame, he can't walk, and we were to look at him and say, take up your bed and walk. He would look at us as, we were, as if we were crazy. And he would say, I can't. I can't. But why was he able when God the Son tells him to take up his bed and walk? Because Jesus has the power to enable him to do so. In the same way, we are lost in our sins. If someone was to come up to you and say, turn to Christ, you first must have God help you turn to Christ, enable you to believe, illumine your minds, giving you the ears to hear. This is why Scripture says that it is God who first chose us. He that has to act in our life first. And as we would think someone was mean if they went to a lame man and said, get up and walk. We should never expect anyone to come to Christ without first God working in their heart. And he comes to us and he says, be saved. And he gives us the power or the ability to be saved. And so God is who chooses them out of the world. He's the one that empowers them to believe in the Son, to leave their rebellious life, to to come to Him in faith. And those who are chosen, as I said before, they are the love gift to the Son. Those that the Father has chosen from the foundations of the world, He is giving to the Son for salvation. He says here to the disciples that they have kept His Word. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. If this wasn't said by the Lord Himself, I probably wouldn't believe it. Disciples have struggled so often to believe the words of Jesus. They have struggled to understand why the Savior had to come to die. They they have constantly doubted, been troubled in their hearts. And so what is it that Jesus is speaking of when He says that they have kept His Word? What is He talking about? Well, it doesn't mean that they understand it all. It doesn't mean that they they all of a sudden know why the Savior had to die. It doesn't mean that they, they know that Jesus will fulfill the Old Testament. That they understand like they would understand on that day of Pentecost when the Spirit would be poured out. What it does mean is that they really believed the gospel. They really believed that Jesus Christ was the sent one, that he was who he claimed to be, that he was from the Father, that he was God incarnate. Remember Peter's words when he said that he was the Holy One of God. When everyone was departing from Jesus in John chapter 6, They were saying that Jesus' teachings were too hard. We can't follow this guy. But the disciples remained, and they were there. And Jesus says, do you too want to depart? And Peter says, in verse 68, he says, 
Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter had kept his word. He had believed Jesus' words. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We have believed. And he continues, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew with all his heart that Jesus was who he claimed to be. That he was the Son of the living God. Now I want you to compare that to the Pharisees. Compare that to the Pharisees of the day. They hated Christ. They hated His words. They rejected the idea that He was the Son of God. They were indignant towards Him. They called Him a blasphemer, a false prophet. They would not receive His words. But the disciples, on the other hand, believed what Christ was saying. And listen, nothing is going to change that. Peter will deny Him. The disciples will scatter, but they will remain as those who have kept His Word. Hidden in their hearts, they know that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God sent from the Father. And nothing is going to change that. In verse 7, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, And they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And so in verse 6, he tells us that they kept his word. And then in 7 and 8, he tells us how they have kept his word. They believed what he had said. They believed that he was the one that came from the Father. That his words were the very words of God. Remember, He's the Word of God made flesh. That He is the revelation of God. They believed it. That those words that Jesus Christ spoke, that the Father is who gave them. That they came from God Himself. And they received Him. They received. They heard the truth. And remember the Pharisees. They rejected the truth. The disciples received the truth. And they had believed that He came Sent from the Father. In verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus Christ prays for his disciples. He prays for his children. He prays for his elect. He prays for his people. Those who He chooses out of the world, He prays for them. You know, I've said it often that we were once a part of the world. But if we are in Christ, we've been born out of the world. That system of rebellion, we've been born out of it. And notice what Christ says here. He's not praying for the world. Now listen, God loves the world, but He loves the world differently than He loves His own. Those who are in Christ... He loves the world by being gracious to them, even though they are unbelieving, even though they are in rebellion against them. He's patient. He's long-suffering with sin. He doesn't eradicate mankind, even though He has every right to do so. He allows our existence. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He is good by giving the unbelieving His creation. 
He gives them time to repent. He's gracious to them. He gives them time to hear the good news of the gospel and come out of the world and believe. But notice in this passage, there's no prayer for the world. You know, when we pray for the world, we should really only be praying for one thing. That they turn from the rebellion against God. That they would forsake their life of sin and trust alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. What else matters at the end of the day? You know, we pray for social systems. We pray for world peace. We want to pray for all this stuff. But we really need to pray that souls would be saved. That people would come out of their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end, this is what will matter. But Christ prays for His disciples. The Son of God prays for His own. Have you ever thought about this? We thought about this idea. That Jesus Christ intercedes for His people. Think of the effectiveness of these prayers. You know, I've said before that God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers when we pray according to the will of God. That He always does His will. It would go against His nature not to do His will. And think about the Son praying to the Father. He's always praying the Father's will. And so if He's praying for you, I can guarantee you that those prayers are always answered. How comforting should that thought be that the Son of God intercedes for His children. To know that the perfect Son makes intercession on our behalf. What a beautiful truth that we find in Scripture. We should take comfort in that truth. In verse 10, he says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Only the Christ, only the God-man could say, could pray such a prayer. He stands on equal ground with the Father. The Father's elect, the Father's children are His children. The Son's chosen are the Father's chosen. And listen, those who Christ are claiming out of the world, those lost that He finds, that He saves, they will bring glory to Him. They will glorify Him. And I want to tell you, it is a glorious thing when reconciled rebels against God, reconciled sinners, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, bring glory to His name. The Son will be glorified by those whom He redeems. He gives us that new heart that gives us the ability to worship Him, to praise Him, to extol His name. In verse 11, I am no longer in the world But they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction or perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled." So Jesus says He's leaving. He speaks so certainly of that hour that is to come, His crucifixion, that it's as if He's already left 
the world. He speaks so certainly of his death, burial, resurrection, and then ascension to the Father that he speaks as, as, as if it's already taken place, place. He is going back to the Father. And listen, he calls God Holy Father. God is the only one worthy of this name. No one else should be called Father. No one else should be called Holy Father in this way. He is the only one worthy of this name. He is truly the set-apart God who is not like us. Perfect in every single way. Pure. Yet, He is our Father who is in heaven. So He's otherly. He's transcendent. But yet He's close because we call Him Father. Jesus asked the Holy Father to keep them in His names. The one that He has given them. The ones that He has given them. To be kept in His name. All but that one to be kept. Judas, the son of perdition. Or the son of damnation. That word there is speaking of that final Damnation, that second death that we read about in the book of Revelation. That the scriptures may be fulfilled. And we know that Jesus has said earlier about Judas that he is, has been a devil from the beginning. And listen, it wasn't Jesus' inability to keep him. It was so the scriptures would be fulfilled. Judas made his own choices. He's the one that decided to betray Jesus. He's the one that hated Jesus' teaching. He's the one that would not trust in Christ. He is the one that decided to turn away. But God, like He always does, uses evil for His good purposes. And He uses the evil choices of Judas for His will, for His good, and His glory. And we see that glory in the cross. But of his disciples, he lost none. And listen, he's not going to lose those who are his, those who have truly trusted in him. And we know this from the disciples' life. All of them, even unto death, kept the faith. And so the perfect Son of God prays that the Father would keep them. Remember that, praying the will of God. I'm pretty sure he's going to keep his sheep Because the Son asks for it. Could we ever be more certain of anything else? If the Son is interceding on your behalf that the Father would keep you, could you ever be more certain of anything else? God will keep His sheep. None will snatch them out of His hand. And listen, as I said earlier, if we see those walk away from the faith, It's because they never had faith in the first place. And I want you to think of these disciples. Think of Simon. In Luke 22, Jesus and Simon have a a conversation. Simon Peter have a conversation. And I think he uses Simon when he speaks to him because of the denial that is coming. He says in that verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, 
And when he says you there, he's speaking in the plural. So I'm thinking Jesus is actually speaking of all of the disciples. That Satan desired to devour, to destroy the faith of all the disciples. That he might sift you like wheat. Shake them to the core. He desires to have them fall away. That he might devour their faith. Cause them to walk away. But... It is Christ who intercedes. It is God who keeps. Speaking to Peter, Jesus says this, But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So what do we see in Scripture? Peter fails miserably. He denies the Christ three times. The rest of the disciples, they also scatter. But even though they all fell, Christ prayed that their faith would not fail. That they would still believe. And you know what? They did. His prayer was answered. Peter repented. Peter Peter was restored. If you want to see Peter... And what he became in the faith. Read in the book of Acts. His sermon on the day of Pentecost. Read his letters to the churches. God keeps those who are his. You know, R.C. Sproul, in a sermon I listened to, on God preserving his own, he gave this analogy, and I think it is so, so well depicts what goes on with God and His children here on earth. You know, if you were walking in traffic with your child, like let's say I use Elijah for an example. Five years old, I have a hold of his hand as his dad. We're walking literally feet away from traffic that's going by as fast as you could imagine. If I was to let go of his hand, he would almost certainly die. Go to his destruction. And as his dad, I hold on to his hand as tight as I can. And he might even say, Dad, that's too tight. (laughs) But there is nothing that could cause me to let go of his hand. I would never let go of his hand. Knowing if I did, certain destruction would happen. And when the Bible says that the Lord keeps you, he holds tight onto your hand. He knows that if he was to let go of you, certain destruction would take place. He knows for one minute, if you were left to yourself, if it was up to you to keep yourself, destruction would be the end. No, he holds tight his grip to his children and he never lets go. So God keeps those who are his. And then he tells us that they may be one, even as we are one. He asks that they may be one. And so how is it that they are one? Listen, this verse is often mistreated and misused so often within Christianity. A lot of times people say there shouldn't be denominations because of this verse. 
that the church should compromise its beliefs that they hold and join with others that they might disagree with. And listen, because of people misusing this very verse, they have sought to be united with those who God would never desire for us to unite with. People have used this verse to say that Jesus' prayer was not answered because the church is often so divided. But this is so far from the truth. The church of Jesus Christ is united. His church is absolutely united and we are united on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are united on His mission to the world. I've never met a Christian that doesn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've never met a Christian that doesn't want more people to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, we are united on the essential of our faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what denomination, no matter what secondary belief is different, we are united. And I have seen from a Pentecostal to a Presbyterian come together, united in the gospel of Jesus Christ with one mission to go to the earth, to ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. Those who cannot unite, those who divide, are those who have left, those denominations that have left the Christian faith. They still name the name of Christ, but they no longer hold to what He taught. They never believe that He, they no longer believe that He's the only way to heaven. They have shipwrecked their faith. Denying the very Lord that bought them. By succumbing to liberalism. Denying the inspiration of this very book. God's Word. Denying the biblical Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. And on top of that, denying the biblical gospel that says that it's His work that we must trust in. And it's nothing we can add to that work. And so they add to the gospel. And so the church looks divided at times because we cannot unite with those who have denied the true Christ. But those of the true, the true church have clung to His gospel. They cling to it. They will never let go of it. It is their only hope in life. And they are one. Because they believe that true gospel. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate. That He lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. That He died the death that we deserved to die. He was our substitute. That He rose again on the third day. And that He has fulfilled the Old Testament Scriptures. And He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that that Christ is returning for His church and to judge the wicked. And that this Jesus Christ has commissioned His church to go unto the earth, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so how does this, how do these scriptures, how do we take this and apply this to our life here and now? I want you to think of that feeble faith of the disciples and take heart. 
You know, you might say, God, but I've sinned today. God, I've struggled in my faith. I've had doubts. God, and we, we, we're always tempted to make our faith all about us. We want to cling to our profession. We want to cling to our obedience. We want to make it about us. But listen, what if the disciples would have made it about them? They scattered. Peter denied him. They had to make it about the one who gave it all. The one who won for us our salvation. The author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. He is the one we must cling to. It is not about our performance that saves us. It is not about whether we have struggles at times. It's about what Jesus Christ has done. And listen, when you read, the, you read what the disciples, you read their struggles in the faith, what did the Lord commend them for? Keeping His Word. Yes. Believing that He was who He said He was. Hallelujah. That's what saves them. That's what saves us. Is trusting in yes. the Son. <coughs> Those disciples re- received His truth. I want you to take heart, Christian, that if you can hear the words of Jesus Christ and you can receive them and not revile them, then God is working in your heart. Because only those who are His can receive His words. Think of the Pharisees. Think of the world. They hate the truth. They will not receive the truth. They want nothing to do with the truth of God. But the fact that you can hear His word is God working within you. The fact that you hear His truth and you believe it is God working in your life. Jesus Christ prays for His disciples. He prays for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, He is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Father, it is my blood that saves them. They are in me. They've been made right. There is no accusation that can be brought against them. My sacrifice is perfect for them. He makes intercession for us. Those who are His will never be separated from Him. And it's not our will that keeps us. Remember that analogy of the father holding the son's hand. It is his will that keeps us. If it was up to us, we would lose it. If it was up to us, we would fail. If it was up to us, we would go to our demise. It would be crazy for us to say to our son in traffic, you know, you've got this. (laughs) It's crazy for you to think that you have this. You need to lean on the author and the perfecter of your faith. You need to lean on the one who is keeping you. The one who is interceding for you. And we are you to be united in Christ with one mind, with one gospel, with one mission to the world to seek and save the lost through His Word. I pray and hope that you are His. That you have come to believe in His name. That you have been born again by God the Holy Spirit. That He, the Son of God, is making intercession on your behalf. That you will be kept by His saving hand from the destruction that is to come.
that you will be united with him, with his bride, the church.